is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to episode seven of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. If you're a new listener, welcome to our podcast, our weekly podcast, where we recap the latest news, analysis, and highlights from around the league. And if you're a returning fan, welcome back. As always, we appreciate your listenership, your viewership, depending on if you're on YouTube or not. Another talented cast with me this evening, Callie Sai. Welcome back. Diego Franco Carreno, same to you. Welcome back. Joey Bowley, a new face on the podcast here in episode seven, week seven of this. Again, another talented crew, a very good crew. But we got plenty to talk about as usual. We'll run through our touching base from around the league, kind of give you a standings update, a COVID update. Going to our seventh inning stretch where we ask these fine folks some of the burning topics from around the league. And then we'll let them talk about their storylines and what they're watching for the week. But let's not delay too long. If the season ended today, which due to COVID, it certainly always could, here's what the standings would look like. In the AL West, the A's and the Astros would be the two teams. Astros certainly pending a playoff spot as they are currently losing to the Dodgers. Good. In the AL Central... In the AL Central, the White Sox and the Twins are the top two teams. In the AL East, the Rays and the Blue Jays are on top, and the wild card rounds out with the Indians and the Yankees. So still three AL Central teams currently in the playoffs. In the NL, over in the NL West, the Dodgers and Cali's Padres, the top two teams. Cubs and Cardinals in the NL Central. Braves and Marlins, NL East. And in the wild card, in what has been a wild ride for Diego's Giants, it is the Phillies and the under 500 Giants rounding out the playoffs. Barely under 500, that's fair. Rounding out the playoffs in the NL. So, again, pretty talented crew on both sides. Not a lot of movement from week to week in terms of the AL. That's kind of been set in stone for the most part, kind of just looking at where teams are going to finish up in terms of their projected standings. Like I said, Diego, you have been on a roller coaster ride this year. You're in, you're in, not in. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it looks like there might be an under 500 team. And if it is only one under 500 team, I think I'd be pretty okay with that. If it's only one under 500 team, I pray it's the Giants. <laughs> You've got a pretty good shot right now. I don't know what the Giants' uh, schedule looks like from here on out, but – I think it's definitely possible. And if anyone can take out the Dodgers in the first round, I think it's the Giants. Interesting. <laughs> really? Kelly doesn't seem to agree. <laughs> well, the first round, that would imply it has to be someone in the lower part of the stadium. Uh, yeah. That's fair. No, that's I fair. I think it'd be us. Just I don't know. Hey, if the Marlins drop down back into that wild card spot, though, they're going to be dangerous. They're, they've that's been playing pretty true. well. Yeah. They've been playing well. I would be much less worried about the Phillies. They have... Yeah, they just they don't excite me as much. Yeah. yeah you talk about teams that, I mean, that's Poor a team that's JT all in. He'll mute yeah. Put him on a good team. That yeah. could be a fun topic uh, for us to talk about this winter. Where GT Real Muto is going to end up going. Um, a baseball team. Yeah. Really good prediction right there. Thank you for that. Some hey, quality already, analysis as always. And that's Twitter's already fired up that JT to DC uh, campaign. So. Hopefully right. that hopefully that pans out a little bit. But there I, you uh, go. I don't know. Keep him in the National League. I, I prefer better players in the National League, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, okay, White Sox. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not having an issue beating up on the Pirates in the 
uh, Tigers and the um, Royals this year. I don't have an issue with it. I'm having fun. But let's stay on the topic of the Giants as we talk about our COVID-19 update. You know, in past weeks, we've discussed teams such as the Indians and their troubles and the Cardinals and the Marlins. This week, certainly nothing along those topics, once again, thankfully. However, sort of a sad, interesting story. Um, uh, it's a COVID update, kind of not really, more so just a national journalism type update as well. It's, <clears throat> it has to do with, like I said, the Giants and specifically Alex Dickerson of the Giants. He had received a positive COVID test a couple days ago, and that was the reason the first two games in the Giants-Padres series were postponed. They come to find out it is a false positive, so the Giants and Padres were able to resume their series. However, Alex Ergerson was interviewed today, um, and he had some not-so-kind words for Bob Nightingale and USA Today. Bob Nightingale wrote an article in which he called out Dickerson for leaving and breaking protocol and going and visiting friends and family while in San Diego, which assumedly he was implying led to the positive COVID test. Seeing as it's a false negative or false positive, excuse me. And seeing as Dickerson not only did not break protocol, but has a wife who is 39 weeks pregnant and it it certainly had caused a stir. For the Dickerson family. If you haven't seen the video, um, certainly encourage you to do so. I think it's a powerful, powerful interview from Dickerson, who, like he said, has tremendous respect for the people who do their job as journalists, but you really got to trust your sources. It's a dangerous game you start to play when you dip your toe into the sources world and you dip your toe into national journalism. And certainly Bob Nightingale has had his fair share of positive takes, but also fair share of these sorts of situations where the players have not been too happy with him. Um, But like I said, make sure to take to Twitter and find that interview from Dickerson. I think it's a very powerful one at the same time. Um, Certainly speaks not only to the scariness of what happens with COVID within families, within um, especially expecting families or families expecting children, but also just in the life of a player and his name getting thrown under the bus um, for breaking protocol when it didn't even happen. Um, So definitely check that out. And that's really our only COVID update for the week. Again, thankfully there has not been a big issue. And because of that, they're starting to talk more and more about a postseason bubble uh, just to kind of build on that. It looks like most of the American league teams would play in Texas and most of the national league teams in California in some form. I personally disagree with that because of the clear home field advantage for each of those teams, but I digress. But again, something to keep an eye on as we start to talk more about the playoffs and talk more about what the playoff scenario might look like. Um, Certainly good news that there are so few COVID tests around the league, or positive ones at least. And finally, to touch base with the rest of the league, let's talk about Some of the weekly debuts, this list has gotten smaller and smaller as the weeks have gone on. However, some really top-tier names still continue to pile on this list and some top prospects getting their chances. Just some of the notable names, Uh, certainly not everybody listed. Dalton Jeffries of the A's, Jonathan Stever of the White Sox, 
Daz Cameron, son of Mike Cameron, former ball player. He is on the Tigers. Kevin Smith, 2017 first-round draft pick, seventh overall. He went to the Diamondbacks and made his debut. Shirt and Apostle, one of the players I realized that I'm now at the age of having players in the major leagues that are younger than me. He is a ripe 20 years old. Um, that's never a fun thing to learn. Or excuse me, he's 21 years old still. Never a fun thing to learn when you're 23. And finally, not exactly a young top prospect, but Yadiel Hernandez of the Nationals um, in his mid-30s finally got to make his major league debut. So kind of a cool story there of someone who didn't give up, who persevered through some of the obvious challenges that come through becoming a major league ball player. But Callie, I'll let you talk about Jeffries a little bit. Joey, if you have anything to add on about Yadiel Hernandez with the Nationals, uh, I'll open up the floor to you guys. So Jeff Reese did not have a very good start. That goes without saying. He gave up two home runs, had, uh, finished the two-winning start he made with a 22.5 ERA, only struck out one batter in two innings, and most notably walked two batters, which is something he rarely did in the minors. Only walked nine batters all of last year between I and double-A. Uh, I think that... It's a very unfortunate start. Uh, you never want to make a bad first impression. But I think it's the wrong impression to get from Jeffries. He's a very talented pitcher. Uh, when he's made a start, his velocity was up. He was touching 95 and 94, which is good because back in the minors, he was in the low 90s. I think it's impossible to expect a player who hasn't pitched in, in, in a competitive game in what, a year to mm. come up and be good against the Major League team. But I do think that he can be a very valuable pitcher in the future, and I do think that he should t continue to get starts this year with the A's having pretty much all but locked up a playoff spot. I think developing him would be more important than being just that bit more competitive in every fifth game this year. Kelly, you bring up a fun point about, you know, these guys haven't pitched in competitive games. If you're not <clears throat> starting with a major league team, you're in your training facility and you're not facing major league guys. And with Jonathan Stever of the White Sox making his debut today, guy who never pitched above high A, um, he was thrown right into the fire and you could see some of those nerves. And I'm sure Jeffries was the same way. I didn't get to see his debut. Um, but some of those nerves of being a new prospect, a young prospect who hasn't, face pitching like or face hitting like this before um certainly i know fans are quick to jump on players who don't uh perform right away but at the same time practicing patience with these guys especially like you said Callie, where the a's have a little bit of room to work with and can be a little bit patient with these guys especially this year um certainly something to keep in mind as a fan especially and this is for all teams when guys make debuts is Man, I can't, I can't imagine the nerves that some of these guys are going through. Um, I mean, Stever is a great example. Someone, he's never pitched above high A. I think Patino was something similar where he hadn't pitched at even the highest levels uh, earlier this year for the Padres. The, the nerves these guys are experiencing are probably astronomical. Um, but, but still, a very cool feeling, I'm sure, for both of them. Yeah, you make a good point about uh, about all that sort of rust. 
Um, so just transition, we got Yadiel Hernandez this year made it, or this week made his debut for the Nationals. He is a 32-year-old outfielder from Cuba. He actually turns 33 in October. So he's, uh, I would say, a couple years older than the average uh, debut debutante, I guess. Um, Only a couple. <laughs> in Major League Baseball. Um, but he's been in the national system since 2017, uh, from what I can tell. And he, I mean, he is honestly, he's just hit at every level. Uh, and across the minors, he's got an 887 OPS and 370 games over 1400 plate appearances. So, uh, he's a high walk guy. And I mean, he hit overseas. He's played in a bunch of the Caribbean winter leagues and also, the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the Cuban national series, uh, where he has a 937 career OPS. So he's, He's a guy who the Nationals are looking for um, potentially going into next year to be like a like a foray kind of uh, 29th man, or I guess next year would be a 27th man, um, or an injury replacement. He's not going to be, you know, an everyday starter, um, sure. especially at his age. But he's certainly somebody that they're hoping they can look for as a, uh, a reliable uh, left-handed bench bat in, in the coming years. Depth wins ball games. Nothing against that. Mm-hmm. Depth wins you ball games. They certainly wins. used this year. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any hurt. I don't think there's any hurt in. Um, yeah, giving the guy a chance. But no, not at all. No, it sounds like you definitely deserved it. Risk. Yeah, he's been he's been working for a long time for this. So yeah, um, yeah he he's earned it. So congrats to him. But certainly testing depth is. A key point this year for all ball clubs, and it kind of transitions nicely into our seventh inning stretch game. Um, Callie, cover your ears as we start this. But this is the time where I start crying. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you remember the rules, seven questions, seven points. I arbitrarily award a point to who I feel gave the best argument, or in Callie's case, last time said something about a witch, and I thought that was funny enough, and therefore <laughs> earned a point. Again, we pride ourselves on analytics until we hit the seventh inning stretch section, then anything goes. Again, you have a minute to make your argument. Best argument wins. Question one. This is where we talk about the depth piece. The Oakland Athletics lost Matt Chapman this week for the rest of the season season due to surgery. The A's also reportedly are signing Jake Lamb of formerly the Diamondbacks, to shore up that hole. I think that's a very smart move. Our question here, and we'll start with A's fan, Callie. How does this affect their chances to not only win the division, but make a deep playoff run? You're on the clock. The A's basically have the division locked up. They have, what, a 6.5 game lead on the Astros. We're recording this as the Astros play, so of course that could become a 6 or 7 game lead. But the A's... Their offense hasn't been what's driving them. It's been the pitching. It's been Chris Bassett, Jesus Lazardo, and that bullpen. It's a very good bullpen. It's a very good pitching staff. But also, they also have very good depth throughout their lineup. Uh, Robbie Grossman's a productive hitter. So is Sean Murphy. And Vimeo Machin, who has been unlucky. But in his time, he has put up a 360 x So while he might not be Chapman-like, he'll still be a suitable replacement for him while the A's make that push for the division and into the playoffs. I do not think that losing Chapman will be the 
it won't cause the walls to collapse. It won't cause the foundation to crumble, basically, is what I'm saying. Right at a minute. Nicely done. Diego, you're next up. All right. Uh, so what will cause the walls to collapse is the fact that they play in Oakland Coliseum. That's just – it's just Oakland Coliseum. But, no, uh, Matt Chapman, very important piece to that lineup. Like, clearly, he's a superstar of the game, and at least in my opinion, I'm sure Callie agrees. Um, but, like, also kind of what Callie said, they, the pitching is really what's got them where they need to be. Um, they're a good team, and we've seen plenty of times in the past, um, you don't need a superstar at every position um, in your lineup to win a World Series or to win consistently in the playoffs. And so, I mean, I think it doesn't take a huge hit on their chances to win it all or to, like, go deep in the playoffs, it does, it does undoubtedly take a hit. But, like, Matt Chapman, great player, A's, great ball club. Joey, you're on the clock. Yeah, so my argument is going to center uh, mostly here around the other Matt, Matt Olson, um, who is probably the closest thing we have to, like, a three-true outcome hitter in the league right now. Because, I mean, this guy, he's, he's striking out, he's walking, he's hitting home runs. That's what he does they're not they're not they're asking him to hit you know 340 um but the one thing about Matt Chapman this year or not Matt Chapman Matt Olson is that he has been pretty unlucky as a 206 BABIP um which is also partially due to all the home runs he hits but um I'm looking for Matt Olson to start to have a little bit of a a little bit of resurgence here late in the season if he can get it going just get some of those um some of those tweeners to start falling and kind of those um those high XBA, those high XBA hits that aren't falling. Um, I think that he'll really be able to make up for the, the hole that's going to be left by Chapman in this lineup. I'm going to give Joey the point for talking about Matt Olson there and his unluckiness. However, if Olson continues to struggle throughout the rest of the year, I reserve the right to retroactively take away your point here. Oh, <laughs> I thought my Coliseum joke was good enough. <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it pretty hard. Um, however, I, that I'm sure you'll throw garbage. I've been there plenty of times. I've never been a good stadium. Great team. Yeah, that stadium. Question number two, second inning. Matt Chapman's injury actually gives us a good time to talk about this question. This is a little more vague, so I'm looking forward to the arguments here. Joey, you will lead it off because you won. Who is the most irreplaceable player in baseball at this moment? And we'll say over the course of this season and next, since this season's just about done. Joey, you are on the clock. All right, so to me, this is a super, super easy question to answer. This is basically like asking who's the best player in the league. And for me, right now, the answer to this question is absolutely Fernando Tatis Jr. The guy is, like we were talking about earlier, an absolute electric factory. Love the way he plays the game. Love the way he doesn't care about the unwritten rules. And um, I, I just – I don't see – like the Padres' rebuild is built around Fernando Tatis. And if you take him out of that equation, then I don't know what the Padres look like. I mean, they still have Machado. They still have Campuzano. They still have that great pitching staff. And that bullpen that's been a little bit shaky this year, but is still among, I think, one of the highest ceiling – or the highest floor bullpens in the league, as well as the highest ceiling. Um, I, I mean, it just has to be Tatis because he is the centerpiece of their rebuild. He's the centerpiece of the next decade of Padres baseball, and he is the reason why they're going to have several rings, I imagine, by the end of the 2020s. Just so you know, you're not getting a point because you mentioned Tatis, and I'm a White Sox fan. Diego, oh. you're on the right, clock. Well, glad I didn't go first because Tatis was my first pick, but my <laughs> second pick here, 
Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson in that White Sox lineup, I mean, the White Sox this year have been real, real good team. But, like, Tim Anderson, I feel like is just really just kind of what brings that team together as a whole. A lot of times we talk about that one missing piece, and I think that's that piece for the White Sox. There's, like, 1.9 war so far this year. He's in 358. Uh, you know, he might not have, like, uh, get the attention that Abreu is getting right now. Uh, but I think Tim Anderson really is kind of like the heart and soul of that team. Um, batting title last year, pretty sure. Yes, Anderson, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's really kind of what pulls that team together. And I think moving forward this year and next year, the White Sox continue that success. I think Anderson's the key. You kiss ass. Yeah, I was, was, was going to say. You were my second answer. <laughs> I, I had three I, listed. I won't, I won't was res- my first pick. I won't respond until I let Callie go. Callie, you're on the clock. If I'm a GM, I look for two things. The ability to hit and the ability to play at as many positions as possible. The ability to fit you in uh, into the lineup in as many ways as possible. And one player is able to do that more than anybody else, and that's Jake Cronenworth. He can play any infield position, and he's also one of the best hitters in baseball. Now let me get my notes. Uh, he has a 4-4-6 X-Woba. He's underperforming drastically and still has a 140 WRC+. Plus. You can. He's a lefty, which also provides added lineup versatility. He's a great defender at all positions in the infield. Really, there isn't any real criticism you can levy against. He also has elite running speed. He's extremely good at everything you can want from a player, and he's an, and he doesn't have the expectation of being a superstar, so he's going to get in less in arbitration. Got to think about that, too. That's the ace fan. <laughs> Moneyball, baby. I, li- I like that answer a lot. Um, it's a very Cali-esque answer. However, flattery and brownie points will get you everywhere. Diego, <laughs> yeah. you're lucky you went second. Um, I do agree, though, about Anderson. Not because he's a good player, but also because I've seen the Sox play both with and without Anderson. I think they're a different team. I think they're a flatter less energized ball club, and I think they're a team that feeds off the energy of one another, um, perhaps blue. more than others. Um, and I, I do think if you had said that, I would have been like, okay, yeah, you're kind of BSing me. But And I think I kind of thought that way as a fan too, um, watching the team, and I'm like, hey, Anderson, is he really that glue that people keep telling me he is? And I was like, all right. When he was out for about a week this year, it, it was night and day difference. Um, so not only is it a great kiss-ass answer, but I actually do agree with it. It was my genuine second answer. <laughs> I, and you know what? I will choose to take you at your word. <laughs> I believe you, Diego. Question three, inning three. Alec Mills of the Cubs twirled a no-hitter today against the um, Brewers. Today, I mean, um, yesterday, Sunday, you're all listening to this sun- uh, on Monday. The 13th. The 13th, thank you. I'm really good at this. He joined Lucas Giolito as the only two pitchers to accomplish a defeat this year. My question is this. You know, they talked about it being the luckiest no-hitter ever, but also Lucas Giolito threw his against the Pirates, which nothing against Giolito. It's still a no-hitter. Which hitter was which no-hitter was more impressive? Diego, you won. You lead it off. All right. So um, probably not the popular answer. I'm going to say Mills. Mills' no-hitters is a bit more impressive because, I mean, what, 15th start, I think, in his career? Uh, something along those lines. And plus, like, I think it's a lot more impressive when you get it from a guy who you no one expected it from. 
Like G. Leo, he's been on the radar for a bit. Uh, people have talked about him quite a lot the last couple uh, seasons, waiting for him to emerge. And that's, that's kind of Giolito's big moment. But Alec Mills, like, who is this guy? He's out here, no hitting the Brewers. I think it's extremely impressive. And just, at least to me, I think it's, it outweighs the other one from Giolito. Just because you don't expect it. No, that's a good point. Callie, you're on the clock. Using Diego's logic, if you pull a random dude off the street and you have Christian Cash and Luis Robert running around in the outfield, snacking all the fly balls that he's given up that are coming off about at like 100 plus miles per hour, that's the most impressive no-hitter ever. It's obviously Giolito. By pretty much every metric, his was better. He walked less, he struck out more, gave up a lower average exit velocity. I cannot imagine the mental gymnastics you have to go through to imagine that Alex Mills no it was better. Just because the Pirates aren't a great team, they've placed plenty of other pitchers. Those pitchers didn't no hit them. This is a seventh inning stretch, rough and rowdy edition. <laughs> I've been attacked. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll let you respond maybe in a little bit, Diego. But I got to get to Joey first. You're on the clock. <laughs> Yeah, um, I got to agree with Callie. Um, I don't care who it's against. He struck out 13, walked one. It was a four-pitch walk, too. So he had pretty much like a span of probably like 50 seconds to a minute where he just wasn't on his A game, and that's what cost him a perfect game. They're still major league hitters. Like, I mean, they might not be good major league hitters, but they're still <laughs> major league hitters. And he struck out 13 of them. He had 18 swinging strikes. I mean, he... He, he threw 110 pitches, he had 18 swinging strikes, and struck out 13. I, I, I feel like there's not much more that needs to be said. Um, Mills's was, you know, it was interesting, I guess. Um, I wouldn't say it was more impressive. Maybe impressive that all those balls didn't fall in for hits when they should have, but I got to go with Jay Leto. Uh, just so everybody knows, the reason we're saying, oh, this was a lucky no-hitter or it, it was luckier than most or whatever, this is from Jesse Rogers of ESPN. The Brewers finished 0 for 11 on hard-hit balls in the no-hitter this afternoon using StatCast's expected betting average. The chance that none of them would go for a hit was 0.07%. So Which that's why they're calling that it. Tells me it wasn't a good pitching performance. It was a good defense performance. It's an interesting For all my fellow humanities majors out there, 0.7% is a very small number. Yeah, <laughs> as well. Baseball may be a team game, but a no-hitter is, is an individual accomplishment. You don't hear the Cubs were a part of a no-hitter. You, th- you hear Alec Mills through a no-hitter. What about a, what about a combined no-hitter? Ooh. That's yeah, not the case, though. Combined with the bullpen, you don't hear, oh, um... <laughs> God, my mind's blanking. Uh, what? <laughs> you don't hear El Mango was a big part of the note here. You hear, oh, Alex Mills, he was good. Tyler Chatwood, he was good if, if we were using the hypothetical of a bullpen. Is Tyler Chatwood still in the bullpen? I, don't know. I think I so. I actually don't know. I, I, I'm going to give the point to Callie for being so ruthless. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, Diego, despite what my, Callie might have you believe, I think it was a valid argument that you brought about i i think there is like, <laughs> I, I i think it was impressive what anyone who's able to throw a no hitter it's impressive um it's kind of an unfair question but it was a cub Sox question why not ask it and have fun with that rival <laughs> i've just been attacked what's That's a pitcher who didn't throw a no hitter hmm? a pitcher 
A uh, catcher who didn't throw a no-hitter. Steven Strasburg has never thrown a no-hitter. Diego apparently thinks that Philip Humber is better than Steven Strasburg. I've never <laughs> said that. <laughs> I, I don't think he said that. Not at However, all. I don't think anyone would argue that. Just saying. I didn't. Either way, it's still impre- it's still an impressive. It's cool, but it's enough. not better. Interesting. That's fair, and that's fair, and I get the arguments on both sides. But before this turns into rough and rowdy, question four: Factor fiction. Jose Abreu and Fernando Tatis Jr. are the front runners for their league's MVPs. Diego, usually I go with last round's winner, but I feel so bad. I'm gonna let you go first. <laughs> So he just attack me again after I finish. <laughs> Lazarus wants to watch me burn. Okay. Either way, my answer to this question: fact or fiction? Yes. Half fact, half fiction. I do believe Fernando Tatis Jr. is the NL MVP right now. Kind of hurts to say as a Giants fan, but hey, he's electric factory, like kind of a joy brought up earlier. However, I'd say um, in the AL at least, I'd go with Shane Bieber. Um, he's been absolutely lights out for the Indians, uh, and if any year is going to be um, a pitcher to do it, it's going to be this year, this shortened season. The starts mean so much more. Um, so it's just how I see it. And, um, you know, the committee might be a little bit more favorable to pitchers this year. So, Shane Bieber. I think a pitcher AL MVP or any sort of MVP argument is always an interesting one. Callie, what you got? I don't even think Jose Abreu is the, is the best MVP candidate on the White Sox. I think Luis Robert has a better – Interesting. Uh, better chance, better arguments. And I still think uh, Tatis is obviously the NL front runner. He's obviously been the best player in the major so far. He has like a 0.7 FBAR lead on everybody else. He's been head and shoulders above everybody else this year, even Trout. I I don't think it's unfair to say it's a Trout-like performance from him this season so far. The White Sox fan in me continues to feel pain. Joey, fact or fiction? Yeah, I'm very much on the Diego. Uh, it's very similar. Yes, half fact, half fiction. Fernando Tetsi's absolutely, like we said, heads above the competition. Um, I'm actually going to go with Anthony Rendon for my AL MVP front runner. He's got 162 WRC plus 406 Woba. Um, He's got 2.4 F4. He's been plus defensively, plus offensively. Uh, I mean, I'm not. It's no knock on Abreu. He's not good defensively. He's not very good. He's been negative worth negative 5.5 defensive runs in paragraphs, which is bad, um, especially when they've only played like 40 games. So uh, gotta go Rendon, um, Nats guy. Do love Rendon, but the guys. I mean, he's he's hitting the cover off the ball, man, and he's also walking a lot, which is things that lead to good 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 hitters walk a lot, hit the ball hard. Yeah, I I do think it's an interesting argument. Um, I I do wonder how, um, and again, this is just how MVP voters are. How the team's record is going to um, factor into it. The, the funny thing to me is always the um, defense for first baseman because, like, you point out negative five runs on fan graphs. Baseball reference has Abreu at his best season ever at six defensive runs saved. Um, so I, I don't know what to trust here. I think 
I'm hoping that by the end of the season we get something from baseball savant to kind of break the tie. Um, I I like the I'm going to give it to Diego because I like the intrigue of an AL MVP that's a pitcher. Um, but certainly, Callie, that's a strong, very kiss my butt type argument for Robert being the biggest MVP candidate on the team, which is an interesting argument. Um, it's a solid one. It's, it's a solid one for sure. I think his defense is fantastic. But question five. Dodgers fans, I'm sure this is one thing you can get along with them for, Diego. Dodgers fans lined the streets to boo the Astros as they came into town this weekend. What are your thoughts on the display, and do you think this will be something that persists into 2021, both whether it's with the Dodgers or with other teams? Diego, the winner, you are first. Uh, All right, yeah. um, I hope it continues into 2021. I mean – the one, like you said, one thing I don't, I don't like to agree with the Dodgers often, but I mean, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the boom, the Astros. They, the Dodgers got robbed, quote unquote. I don't want to see them win a World Series, but cheating so much worse. The Astros don't deserve anything. All they deserve is this booing and constant, not, not harassment, but constant berating of reminding them that like, hey, you cheated. You don't deserve it. Get out of here. Like we, it's it's good. I like it as long as it's not super violent or anything. That's uh, I can get behind it. So I, I will find you holding hands and singing "Kumbaya" with Dodgers fans. Now is basically Never. what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's not Joey, very socially distant of you. Sorry, I, I remember when this was all over. That's fair. Joey, you're on the clock. <clears throat> yeah, I love it. Um, you know, I was looking forward to being in Nats Park on the 4th of July this year, booing the Astros myself, but uh, clearly that didn't happen. <laughs> Hopefully the scheduling works out so I can be there next 4th of July booing the Astros. Um, but yeah, I agree, especially with like all this Joe Kelly stuff and um, the Loriano incident and just seeing like kind of just the way that the Astros hitting coach behaved with the whole A's incident kind of shows me yeah. like I don't think their culture is fixed. I don't think anything is better now that Lunau and that other clown are gone. Um, but yeah, as long as it, as long as it's not violent or, um, you know, malicious or anything like that, I am all for it and hope to participate in it at my earliest convenience. <laughs> Kelly is the ace fan. I can probably assume where this is going, but Hey, you're on the clock. Can't wait to be strung up and tied behind a Bart car for this opinion. I personally find the Astros, hate boner to be more annoying than the actual cheating itself. Interesting. I am of the opinion that if you can't change what happened in the past, you gotta let it go and look forward. Uh, Dodgers fans, they're missing one of their best teams ever and are stuck in 2017. I think it's really annoying. I think it's really tired and I mean, I'm, I'm angry. I'm disappointed with the lack of punishment. I'm angry. I'm disappointed in what they did, but I just think that people are being so stupid and so obnoxious and so ridiculous. Because I see people yelling at Kyle Tucker, who wasn't even on that 2017 team. I see people yelling at their brand new columns from low A. People are getting attacked for being guilty by association, and I think that's simply ridiculous. And I think it's just too far. I think we're going to I think in the year 3000, if we still have baseball, then we're still going to have people 
booing the Astros because it's just ridiculous. Nothing's going to change. It's, it's a waste of effort and energy to get worked so get so worked up over it. Callie with some strong words. Can he give can he give you the point there? I mean, I, to an extent, I kind of I, I kind of understand it. No, I do too. I do too. Um, yeah, be, be, I the reasoning being um, because now you're starting to see players who are just guilty by association, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're having guys like Joe Kelly and enter himself into the situation just because he happens to be on the team, um, even though he wasn't on the team in 2017. So I, you, you kind of see where the line starts to get blurred there. Yeah. As much as I appreciate all the memes that came from the Joe Kelly situation. I, I do see where Callie's starting to go with this. Yeah, and I, I, I agree with that, too. I'm, I'm more mainly focused on the up-the-middle kind of core guys that were proven to be oh, sure. involved in that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and to – yeah, I think it was – I believe it was your point. You talked about the culture. I, I, I do agree. I don't think things have changed for those core types of players. Yeah, but uh, what's his face? The owner, uh, Crane. 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 Crane isn't affected by this, and he's the – and he's the one who should be getting all the hate. Yeah. I think we're sure. just getting I think that there's just gonna be a bunch of stupid scapes. Scapegoating, yeah. Yeah, scapegoating, yeah. I completely agree. Those who deserve the blame often don't get it. Mm-hmm. So. Question six, inning six. Last week, Lourdes Guriel Jr. and Marcelo Zuna won player of the week honors. Kelly, you Tied with Andrew last week. You both picked Ozuna, but you both had Mike Trout in the AL. So I can't give you an extra point this week, unfortunately. Um, however, who are your front runners to win the honors this week? Joey, you need to catch up here since you're down 2-2-1, two, two to one, so you're going to go first. <clears throat> yeah, so for me, picking a player of the week is kind of like like it's – I don't know what the opposite of shooting fish in a barrel would be, but it's kind of like that. <laughs> Um, cause there's just, there's so many good players, um, for the national league. I think I'm going to go with Trey Turner. I know he won a couple of weeks ago. Um, but the guy has been hot and I like to ride the hot bat. And then as far as the American league goes, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with more of a hopeful pick. I'm going to say, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say that Isaac Paredes of the Tigers gets really hot this week and Ron Gardenhire actually plays him and he, and he goes on and he wins player of the week. That's kind of like my, my sleeper kind of, you know, more hopeful than realistic, but I, I do think Trey Turner has a real shot and I would love to see Isaac Paredes get some playing time and finally show us that he can really rake. Diego, you're up. Uh... Um, yeah, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to just go with, uh, let me think here for a second. Um, this past week or this next week? I forgot what we're doing. This past week. Um, let's go with, um, Adam. Oh, Duval. wait. <laughs> yeah, Joey's answer also confused me. So. Joey, I'll come back yeah. to you. To, I'll come back okay. to you to get I'm gonna re- I'm going to rethink it. I'm going to rethink it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go with Adam Duvall and Jose Abreu. Um, I think they both had solid weeks. If I'm remembering how this last week went correctly, I could not be. I don't know. Long weeks happen. Uh, but those are my answers. I have no reasoning. There it is. There you go. You're welcome. Kelly saved the sinking ship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with um, 
Alec and Mills. I mean, it's hard to, yeah. even if it's not one of Thank the best you. no-hitters That's fair, you're right. I think that throwing a no-hitter is going to put multiple name, your name multiple times into the hat. And for the American League, I'm going to go with DJ Stewart. Uh, 381 batting average, which isn't that impressive, but he did hit runs, which is high for the most in the American League this week, which I think is impressive. I mean, looking at it, looking at the history, most players probably only care about home runs and average. You said he had four home runs this week? I uh, did. Okay, so you cut out, um, so I just wanted to make sure. Joey, let's try this All again. Right. <laughs> I misunderstood. So uh, I'm actually still going to go with Trey Turner. He swung a hot bat this week. All right. I'm going to stick with Trey Turner. In the American League, uh, Luke Voigt, he's been staying hot. I don't watch that much American League baseball. Um, but um, he's, I mean, he's, he's swinging a hot bat. He's got 16 home runs. Uh, at least a couple of those were this week, so. I'm, I'm going to go with Luke Boyd. I, I honestly thought that Alec Mills would be the really easy answer and we'd have sort of a scenario like last week where we all picked the same player. But I just didn't pay attention this week. Yeah, Callie, I, th- I uh, think you're going to win this week. Um, I, my money is also on Callie. I have to retroactively give this point, obviously. Um, but if I could put money on it, Callie, you'd probably be getting this point. <laughs> And Don't tell anybody I just like my answer. Fangraphs searching while Joey was talking. <laughs> <laughs> Joey's answer was just confusing me, so I'm like, do I pick one? I for thought the we were week? going next week. Yeah, I thought that. I thought that's what we were doing. But Someone hasn't really... listened to the past six episodes. <laughs> well, no. See, I did. I started, and <laughs> then I had something else to do, so I didn't get to this part. Yeah, you're right. I've only had this on a couple times, but once. once. Thank you, Diego. You want me to take away a point now? I can do that. Seventh inning stretch. Seventh question. This week was full of odd occurrences across the league. What was the craziest, funniest thing you saw come across your Twitter feed this week? This could be a stat line. This could be a play. This could be whatever you want it to be. Just make people laugh and go find something. Um, Joey. Yeah, this past week. Don't try and I'll predict try what's going to happen this week. I'm not, <laughs> not going to try and predict anything. Um, so, Brent Rooker, who got called up last week of the Twins, this week I saw the story. So, that's, that, that's my justification here. Um, <laughs> when he got the call up, like the actual, like the phone call from the player development coordinator for the Twins, he was playing Warzone with a couple of his teammates. So, he, his guys, hey, guys, I got I to gotta drop off. Like, I got, you know, a pretty important call coming. And uh, he turned out turned out that he was getting called up. I don't remember exactly who he was playing with, but I, I remember seeing it. It was like, oh, that's, you know. It, I thought it was really funny that he had to stop what he was doing. Like, And it's, you know, they're not that different from us. They're playing video games. So that that's probably my favorite part of it is that he was, he was playing, just playing video games with his boys and, you know, oh, I'm in the big leagues now. That's probably, that's, that was the best thing I saw. I do think that's fantastic. And that's something the pandemic has shown us is just, how normal these guys are. And I don't think we would stand ner- any other year, any other time we'd really think of them that way. True. Diego, you're up. <clears throat> All right. So my favorite thing, not necessarily like funny, like or anything, but my favorite thing I saw on tour this week was the first baseball score Gami in forever. 29 to nine Braves uh, and the other team Marlins. Uh, like that was absolutely 
my favorite thing. I just, I'm just a big math guy and the probability of it even happening, like uh, just in this day and age after so many years of baseball is so like, it's rare and to have it continue like to be a point. In fact, that's been over 20 years since you've seen it last. It was just incredible. I thought it was really cool. And plus, you know, um, another team, the in a wild card race getting blown out of the water. Not, I mean, I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, of course you are. Yeah. Kelly. I mean, it's gotta be rolls chapping, cracking his pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Diego, you almost had the point too. Oh. <laughs> she could have said anything else, but <laughs> Ellie wins. All right, I gotta take a walk real quick after that one. <laughs> Kelly, for the second week in a row, has won seventh inning stretch, and your award for the second week in the row. I'm gonna try and get us back on the train here. <laughs> your award for the second week in the row is getting to go first. As we talk about our storylines around the league, Diego, welcome back. Kelly, your story. I'm upset. <laughs> What's happening? I'm, I'm talking about how Nelson Cruz is having his, is having a very good shot at winning MVP in his age 39 season. Please continue. Uh, he <laughs> leads all qualified hitters with a 183 WRC plus, and he has a very respectable 2.1 FR, doubly impressive since he is just a DH. Uh, him being 39 and being an MVP contention is incredible. I don't think I've ever, I don't think that there was ever someone so old and also at playing at an MVP level when ever since I started watching baseball. Obviously, there's. Uh, Barry Bonds, but well, I wasn't watching when uh, he was playing. I was still don't age tired. me, please. <laughs> um, I think that him being a DH is going to unfortunately cost him some votes, but I've never really been a fan of that. You're telling me that just because someone plays the field, even if they have, even if they cost their team's runs defensively, they're still more valuable than a DH. DH doesn't cost his team. Uh, and he runs defensively, so he should be just a watch defensive value-wise. Yeah, I just... Nelson Cruz is one one player I just can't figure out. He's incredible. He is absolutely incredible as a hitter. He had um, his first full season when he was like 28, and he's a Hall of Fame candidate. And he didn't start turning into yeah. what he is until recently. It, it's incredible to see what he's been able to do um, and continue to do, and it was age 39 season like you said and i mean when you talk about mvp candidates it, it's strange to see him up there but also it's a completely valid <laughs> it's case. an mvp candidate is tatis is 21 years old right he's young no matter what it is 21 22 like and one's 39 yeah. so it's like baseball gotta love baseball this was a cool thing diego Does second he? place finisher <laughs> i'm upset <laughs> I can tell. Your storyline for the week. Uh, yeah. Uh, my storyline for the week, I want to talk about uh, at least my favorite for the NL Rookie of the Year. Um, for me, got to be Sixto Sanchez. Uh, I just – I love watching this kid pitch. I mean, mm -hmm. it's incredible, like, what he's doing. I mean, uh, four games, uh, 25 innings pitch, 1.80 ERA, uh, 
252 ERA plus. I mean, this kid's like electric. Like I love watching this guy pitch. I think he's, I don't think he's going to get a digress at all. I think he's like just getting started still. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just think it's just, he's just a fun watch. And I mean, honestly, that's all you can really ask for, especially for a guy so young, hadn't pitched above, uh, I think single A before he got up to the bigs this year. I think with the short season, very real chance that he's like the favorite for the NL rookie of the year. Yeah. No, Sanchez has uh, been impressive right off the bat. How did the Marlins acquire Sixto? Was he in the um, uh, in the real, real mutual trade? Yep. Yeah, that's what I believe I so. Marlins are starting to see the fruits of their trades actually that's producing true. something, which is interesting that. for them. I think that they should be a better standard of rebuild than the uh, Astros. Interesting. Honestly, I, to... I wouldn't mind. Yeah. Mainly because I like how they didn't acquire. I like how all their very. I like how right now all their top prospects came from trades and not from the draft. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting point. I want, I want you to sit on that, I want you to build on it, and I want you to bring a full-flushed-out argument for your storyline next week. You have homework from me, Kelly, because I like where you're going with this. Joey, your storyline for the week. Yeah, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Casey Mize, number one prospect for the Tigers in terms of pitchers, at least. I think Torkelson actually jumped him in their overall organizational rankings. Um but he actually seems like he's starting to settle into the big leagues a little bit. He had a pretty good first start. Uh, he gave up three runs all earned over four and a third against the White Sox on August 19th. Uh, he struck out seven, but he also gave up seven hits. Got hit around a little bit. Um, but the stuff was there. He looked pretty good. Um, and then his next three starts, August 24th, August 30th, and September 6th, he got, he got roughed up a little bit. His ERA was up to 675. Um, and he, was, he wasn't striking as many guys out. He was walking guys pretty consistently he was going four innings was his we went four and a third that was his longest outing until his most recent one um but he looked he didn't look like he had um he to me when i watched him it looked like he wasn't confident enough in his stuff yet Mm -hmm. and then uh, on the 11th which would have been friday um he went out against the white Sox again went five and a third five strikeouts uh, only one hit two walks and uh he had 10 swinging strikes, and he just looked a lot more um, confident, especially with that, that disgusting splitter and also his, his sinker that's been pretty good and that four-seamer that's uh, – it's pretty low velo, but he, he gets good results off of it. So uh, that's mainly my thing. It's not a super in-depth analysis, um, but really it's more – I don't like using the eye test, but that's kind of what this whole thing is based on is that – he, he's starting to look a lot more comfortable yeah. and sort of growing into the role that the Tigers are going to need to be, him to be in uh, for them to be in contention over these, this next set of years before he and these other big prospects start to hit free agency and the Tigers don't resign. I think it's a good point, though. I think that's something you have to watch when you're looking at rookies is how they're looking and feeling on the mound. Are they looking like they're going to pull in and roll this Chapman and crap their pants on the mound? <laughs> or do they or do they exude that confidence in their pitching and in their stuff? And, I mean, I've seen two of Mize's starts having watched the Sox-Tigers games. Night and day difference. Someone who trusts his stuff, commands his stuff because he trusts it, versus someone who's making his major league debut. Stark difference, obviously. 
Um, but also, it, it's where the eye test comes in. Is someone who starts to trust his stuff. Yeah. But let's close the storybook. Let's turn on the TV. And let's talk about what everyone... Thank you for the um, visuals there, Diego. I got you. <laughs> let's talk about what everyone is going to be watching this week around the league. Kelly, we will start with you. Uh, it's got to be Padres Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers have a last I checked three game lead. Could change depending on the results of this Astros game. So oh, it's a three game series. The Padres have the chance to tie up the division if they are able to sweep the series. Uh, they probably won't, but it would still be a very competitive, very entertaining to watch series between two of the top teams in baseball. Yeah, those are two teams that. If they, if they don't match up in the playoffs in the first round, it's certainly going to be later on down the line. Yeah. Um, certainly, the Padres are going to give the Dodgers a run for their money in the division. So, a huge divisional matchup, and because of that, another person who's focusing on a huge divisional matchup, Joey, what are you watching this week? Uh, yeah, for me, back to the AL Central, it's got to be Twins and White Sox. I've got a series coming up this week. Uh, the White Sox currently have, last I checked, a one-game lead on the Twins and also the best record in the American League. Um, and I just think it's really interesting just the way that their ascent has kind of been, um, especially with last year thinking, oh, this could be the year that, you know, the competitive window really opens. Um, that got pushed back a little bit because of some, some wishy-washy performances last year. Uh, but mm-hmm. this year has really stepped up. Like we talked about Abreu and Anderson. It feels like half this podcast we've been talking about guys on the White Sox that are playing well. Wonder uh, why. <laughs> I don't write the rundown. Yeah. Yes, you do. Part of right, <laughs> no, no, no. I put your name there, and I say storyline. Let's That's talk fair. about it. <laughs> That's fair. You're right. You choose what we talk about. That's I just fair. throw it in there. But I think that really is just a testament to how well the White Sox are playing especially with their guys. They got Robert, sorry, Robert Anderson, Abreu, and Giolito. Um, and then the Twins, of course, have Cruz. Maeda's pitching well. And, you know, especially since they're starting to pull away from Cleveland as sort of the top two teams in that division, it's really going to be interesting to see how, um, how that finishes up, who gets the top seed, and uh, who gets to play against Cleveland or maybe the Yankees uh, in the first round of the playoffs. Diego Kelly, Jordan Lazowski slander is not allowed on this podcast. Diego, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so um, I originally had a different idea for this, but I'm actually changing my answer here. Um, I'll be watching Toronto, New York. Uh, Toronto and the That's Yankees. A good series. It's going to be a good series. Like they're still kind of jostling for position in that um, in the AL East over there. So it's going to be a big series for both these teams. Uh, probably going to play a pretty decent factor into the um, the wild card race and divisions and how the um, postseason and uh, seeding goes over there on the AL side. Uh, so I'm excited for, like, watching that series. I really like the Blue Jays. They're a fun team to watch. The Yankees, I, you know, not, I, don't, I don't enjoy seeing the Yankees win. But who does besides Yankees fans? True. But, <laughs> yeah, so fun series to watch. It's, it's kind of got some big implications there. So I think it's going to be a good series. Yeah, the Yankees just a half game back of the Blue Jays. Um, mm-hmm. As of this recording – and I think they still play at least six or seven times um, yep. to end the season. So I agree. Three I huge so. divisional series, 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 series to watch uh, this week. So certainly keep your eyes on the standings. Keep your eyes on the divisional races around the league. I think 
this week can go towards answering a lot of questions as to how the seeding starts to go with still so many questions um, out there. I think the excitement may be shifting from who's going to make the playoffs to where they're going to be. So I, I think maybe even as the excitement has shifted, I think that same excitement is still there for those teams that are in the playoffs at least. Um, so plenty to watch this week, and I'm sure that we're going to have a ton coming from these games um, to talk about next week as we figure out what our playoffs are going to look like this year. Mm-hmm. But that's going to do it for us, folks. Callie, Diego, Joey, thanks for joining me. Appreciate having or appreciate time out and uh, appreciate the White Sox talk as always on here. You know, like I said, I don't write the podcast. I don't write what happens, but sometimes it just happens naturally. Sometimes they bring up questions about Jose Abreu being an AL MVP favorite. You know what? And then I bring up one about an irreplaceable player, and you say Tim Anderson. It's so true. It's I didn't. True. I didn't write that one. That's also true. It's okay. This is your. Uh... This is your uh, your prize for years of pain. So exactly, this is, I, I, I deserve this. this you do. This team, this do. team is not. We're not talking about a bad baseball team. No, we're not. This Absolutely not. But again, this is going to do it for us. Thanks for listening. Um, make sure to check us out on diamond-digest.com. Um, Diego, Cali, Joey, and all of our feels like hundreds of other writers are doing their thing every day, uh, putting out a lot of great content, a lot of great analysis. Make sure to find them on Twitter if you can. Uh, make sure to find us on Twitter at diamond underscore digest. That's where we'll do most of our posting. Um, also find us on Facebook and Instagram. There's plenty of content. We have a huge team doing a lot for you. Um, and we continue to hope you enjoy the content that we provide. But again, thank you for listening. For Joey Boley, Diego Franco Carreno, and always, Kelly Sai. This is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great one.